Let me say a quick prayer for us as we get ready to dive into God's Word this morning, okay? Oh, Lord, You are good. Thank You for uh, the great privilege You give us to sing praises to Your name, to express our hearts to You in praise and in worship. Thank You for um, this time now, Lord, when we open up our hearts to Your Word. And I pray that that we would indeed be open, that Your Spirit would be active, and uh, we welcome You in this place. Talk to us now about this very important matter. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hill, I had something really unusual and kind of unsettling happen uh, to me this summer. I wanted to share a little bit about it with you. I wrote it on my blog, so if you may, you may have seen it there. But um, we're trying to update our basement a little bit. Kind of furniture was all from the 80s, you know, so we're trying to get into at least the 90s. And so I was doing some yard sailing this summer, looking at sofas and coffee tables. I went to this one particular yard sale, and they didn't really have anything I was looking for. I was making my way back to my car. I get in my car, I'm parked on a cul-de-sac there, and uh, another vehicle comes up, uh, tan sedan, comes up right next to me. There's a lady driving, her window's open, I'm in my car, my window's open. And as she creeps to a stop right next to me, she's spitting. She's like, and I'm like, you know, that doesn't happen every day. And uh, I, I thought, what, what in the world? And she, she continues to spit at me, she has this contemptuous look in her eyes, and then she lets loose with this string of, vulgarity and profanity, words I haven't heard like since high school, you know, and, and she's just, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm looking, you know, are you, are you talking to me? You know, and I've never seen the woman before in my life and she starts saying, you know, you just better get your blankety blank blank out of here and, you know, you tried to talk to me and you need to mind your own blankety blank business and, and she's just going on and getting madder and her nostrils are flared and her fangs are bare. I mean, she's just... Laying into me, and I'm just rocked back. You know, I, I was speechless. I was stunned. I was dumbfounded. And I, you know, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes my best thoughts about things come about two days later. You know, <laughs> it's like I didn't know what to say. I think I started to get out. Like I think you have the wrong per. You know, but she would have none of that. And for about a minute straight, she just filled the air with profanity, angry, hateful. I felt despised. And uh, finally, after about a minute that felt like about 30 minutes, she put it in reverse and backed away, continuing to <laughs> spit and curse at me. And it was just this, this you know, I'm thinking about sofas and, and, you know, coffee tables, and it just totally blindsided me. And I, you know, I'm sure I was shaking a little bit there, just trying to regain my composure and, and what had happened. And you know, as I thought back on it later on in the, in the evening, I thought, well, certainly that was a spiritual attack, you know, that, you know, the evil one, there is a devil and he has people that he can do his work through and communicate his messages through. And I, I felt that it had this supernatural kind of feel the whole encounter did. And certainly that was going on. But also this was clearly a case of mistaken identity, <laughs> that I wasn't who she thought I was. You know, I don't know if, if I look like her daughter's ex-boyfriend or a bo- ex-boss or something, but it, but obviously she thought I was somebody other than what I really was. And um, I'm glad I know who I am. You know, in Christ, I'm not despised. I'm not hated. I'm glad I know who I am. There is such a thing as mistaken identity. And it's one thing to mistake somebody else's identity and get that wrong, but it's, it's quite another thing indeed to be mistaken about your own identity and who you are 
especially as a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's our topic today. And this is such a huge issue. I mean, really is. I, I hope you're tuned in today and ready to hear because really our, our lives flow out of our identities, don't they? Our behavior, our lifestyle comes from that picture we have in our minds of who we are. And that's, that's our topic for today. Gospel-shaped identity. As I mentioned last week, this is August, and this is our August series, and traditionally around here we take August as a time to kind of step back and remind ourselves of who we are as a church and, and, and what we're all about, and that's what we're doing this August. If you missed last week, I urge you to go online and listen to it or watch it online, because what we're saying is going to build from week to week on the foundation that we've already laid. But I'll try to do a short review here before we, we launch into today's topic. And if you pull out your study outline, you'll see there's a diagram on there. I introduced it last week. And I think it illustrates pretty well the work that I believe God has been doing uh, in this church, in us, these last several years. I've come to call it um, becoming a gospel-driven church or a gospel-centered church. It's probably accurate to say that, that uh, every church is driven by something. Some of you were raised in church, or maybe you've been in different churches and you've noticed that that there's there's something behind what's going on, behind the decisions and the programming, kind of a driving force. Uh, some churches can be driven by tradition, we talked about that, or a strong personality or one person's particular agenda, or a popular ministry or program in a church can become the identity of that church, can become the driving force behind it. So many different things, some good, some not so good, can can end up becoming the driving force in a church. In this diagram, I've put the gospel there in, in, in the center to denote the fact that the leadership team of this church believes that that's what ought to be the driving force behind New Life Church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the person and his work, ought to be front and center, center stage here at New Life Church, the driving force behind everything we say and do. Last week I defined my understanding of a gospel-driven church as a congregation of people who are seeking to keep Jesus and his gospel message front and center, front and center in the life of the church, maintaining a laser focus on Jesus, keeping the main thing the main thing. Remember we talked about that. I tried to present a biblical case for that from the scriptures as to why that needs to be the case, why Jesus needs to be in the spotlight all the time. And we also talked about the kind of commitment it's going to take to keep the gospel front and center for decades and generations to come in this church. Now, the gospel has power. You believe that? The gospel contains within itself power, power to save, power to transform lives, and that power is released in our lives as we believe the gospel at a deep, deep level. This diagram shows three areas that the gospel was meant to, to shape or to transform. Our identity, our community, and our mission. Our identity, we know, is, is how we perceive ourselves, our self-image. Our community is how we relate to each other in the body of Christ and how we view one another. And our mission is what God has called us into the world to be and to do. Without a doubt, the gospel was meant to, to shape and transform each of those aspects of our lives. And so today we're going to focus on how the gospel shapes our identity, our identity in Christ. And, and where I want to start, though, is, is by talking first not about our identity, 
But about Jesus' identity, I mean, that would be a gospel-centered way to talk about identity, right? Let's start by talking about Jesus' identity. And you know identity was a big deal to Jesus. Jesus would often look at people and say, who do men say that I am? Who do they think I am? And then even on several occasions, he looked at his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? Identity was a, a big deal to Jesus. I often wonder when the precise moment was when Jesus of Nazareth, this youngster growing up, realized who he was. You ever think about that? We're not told exactly, but we are told that it was before the age of 12. Remember, that's how old Jesus was when he looked at his very perplexed parents who'd been searching for him for several days, found him in the temple talking theology with the religious leaders there, and what did, what did young Jesus say? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? So already as an early teen, Jesus of Nazareth had a self-awareness to that extent. He knew that God in heaven was his father and that he was on a mission from God. We also know that by the time of his baptism, at the age of 30, it was being revealed to a few other people who he was. Um, you remember that his cousin, John, John the Baptist or the baptizer, baptized his cousin Jesus in the Jordan River. You're going to see a video a little bit later on of uh, the Catalyst Retreat last week where several of our young adults were baptized in a lake. So you'll, you'll see that and you can hearken back to this thing about Jesus being baptized in that Jordan River, being brought up by John out of the water. And in that moment, what happened? A booming voice came out of heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am very pleased. So there was God the Father calling Jesus his Son and also declaring that he was pleased with him before he had really done any ministry, performed any miracles, preached any sermons. God's pleasure in his Son was not based on his Son's performance, but on his declared identity. Remember that. Very important. We're going to cycle back to that. Not long after that, God, not long after God declared Jesus' identity, his identity was challenged. The next chapter in the book of Matthew says Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the tempter comes onto the scene and he says, what? If you are the Son of God, remember Jesus had just heard, this is my Son, here comes Satan. If you're the Son of God, prove it to me. Do something spectacular to show me that. But Jesus knew who he was, and he knew that his identity as God's beloved son was not based on his performance or his ability to prove it, but on the clear declaration of his father. And as a result, Jesus was free. He didn't have a need to prove anything to anybody, especially not Satan. He was grounded in the father's declaration of who he was, and that was enough. And his secure self-image empowered him to be able to meet Satan's challenge head on. Well, then in the very next chapter in this account of Matthew, we find Jesus going back to his hometown where he grew up. Now, maybe you wrote your hometown on your name tag earlier. It's kind of an interesting experience, isn't it, to go back to your hometown? I don't know how the people there, you know, think of you when, when you show up, but in Jesus' hometown, there was really a mixed reaction to Jesus. And it says that Jesus went into the place of worship, the synagogue, and he opened up the Old Testament scriptures, which would have been a scroll, and he opens up this scroll to Isaiah chapter 61, 
which is a prophetic word about a coming king, an anointed one. And he reads that passage from Isaiah. Then it says he folded up the scroll, handed it to the attendant, sat down, looked at the congregation and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am that. What we just read in Isaiah 61 about an anointed king coming, it's me. I'm here. I wonder how that went over with the home folks. You? We know you. We know your parents. We know your siblings. What are you talking about? That's where he said a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Right after that, he proceeded to launch into his ministry, and he did so, it says, in the power of the Holy Spirit and with a a strong grasp of who he was, his identity. And when you when you play this out like this, I'm convinced that we see in the story of Jesus a pattern that we would do well to understand because this pattern relates not only to Jesus but also to us. Do you see it? First, God declares Jesus' true identity. You are my son. Then that identity is challenged by others, in his case, Satan. Then Jesus sees his identity rooted in the scriptures and he declares it to be true about himself. And then his secure identity launches him out into a ministry with great confidence. You see the pattern? Identity declared by God, then challenged by others, then reaffirmed by the scriptures, and you can add declared by us, and then out of that newfound identity flows ministry and mission. That's how Jesus' ministry came about. Being clear on who he was, on his identity, was huge. Everything in Jesus' life, including all the events we call the gospel events, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, flowed out of who he knew himself to be. Does that make sense? This is a huge, huge issue. It was for Jesus. And I would say this, everything in your life and everything in my life flows out of our identity. It really does. When it comes to how well we can resist temptation, like Jesus did in the desert, when it comes to how confidently we carry out our calling, when it comes to how we deal with the naysayers and the doubters in our lives, being secure in our identity is perhaps the key factor in all of it. And so my question to you today is, do you know who you are? Or are you suffering from a case of mistaken identity? So think about these scenarios for a minute. A young lady jumps from relationship to relationship to relationship with different guys. None of them lasts very long. She's at the point where she finds herself hurt, angry, disappointed, filled with shame, and she's starting to get cynical about life and men and relationships and even God. She feels unable to break out of this pattern, this cycle of hope and despair and hope and despair, and she feels powerless to change it. Or the middle-aged man who, in his 50s now, finds himself plagued by the tapes that seem to constantly replay in his mind of his father talking to him as a young kid saying, you don't have what it takes. You're never going to make it. You need to be more like your brother. And he finds himself moving from job to job to job to job, never able to really lock in and hold on to anything for any period of time. And he silently bemoans the fact that he doesn't have any real friendships. Or the professional gal 
who has experienced success in the marketplace due to her ambition and her drive. Her earnings are substantial. They allow her a measure of freedom. They gain her some respect among her, among her peers. She has the ability to buy some nice toys and have nice vacations. But there's this gnawing emptiness on the inside that puzzles her, and she's starting to wonder why everyone else seems to be happy while she's not, and it's starting to wear her out to continue to fake it. Is there a common thread running through these different stories? The truth is this. Everything, everything in our lives flows out of our identity. Generally speaking, we act out of our self-perception. How we see ourselves is one of the most determining factors of how we live our lives. And it begs the question, where do we get it? Where do we get our identity? Where does it come from? How is it formed? What are the forces that shape and mold that image of ourselves that we hold in our minds? Well, people smarter than me who've studied this tell us that there are several different sources from which people can draw their primary identity. And I've listed them for you on your outline, and I've actually put little checkboxes next to them. Because it's a very interesting exercise to, see, to try to discern where our own identity comes from. One possible source of your identity is this. I am who others tell me I am. Yeah, that's me. What others have spoken into my life, verbally or, un, or, or non-verbally. Isn't it true that our self-perception is often formed by the opinions of certain significant others? Let's start with parents. What did my parents speak into my life when I was growing up? What did I get from dad? What did I get from mom, verbally or non-verbally? What we receive from our parents growing up cements in our minds a picture of ourselves that can stay with us for years, decades, even a lifetime. Isn't that true? You're a loser. Lazy. Worthless. You're not going to amount to much. One woman said, I remember my mom saying to me, your sister's the pretty one, you're, you're just the smart one. These things stay with us, don't they? Lodge in our spirit. Or maybe the other side of the, co- of the coin. Oh, you're better than everybody else. You should do better, be better, you should win. You should get better grades than Billy does. So often, parents have this, this picture in their mind, this mold that they want to conform their child to or their children to, and it's an expectation that can come to define the child or in many cases define the child's rebellion as they push back against that mold, right? I'm going to be anything but that. What our parents told us. How about our teachers? Growing up, you had some teachers that were influential in your life, and we thank God for our teachers. How did your teachers perceive you? Were you the good student? The conscientious one? Or were you the constant troublemaker, the problem kid, the one who was always disrupting the class? Sometimes those perceptions of our teachers can mark us deeply. How about our peers? How did my peers view me? Last week we kind of joked a little bit about those brutal middle school years that we all endured. But I wonder how many of us are actually living out the label that our peers gave us during those years. Punk, fat kid, loser, ugly, brace face, beanpole, 
outcast, ghetto kid, or worse. Or maybe the other side of the, of the coin. Maybe you were the cool kid, the rich kid, the star athlete, chick magnet. That was never said of me I, that I can recall <laughs> at all. Never. I wanted that persona, but it didn't happen. Beauty queen. What our peers thought about us mattered, didn't it? How deep was the imprint left by those experiences? So some people draw their identity from what others have told them, what others have said to them. How about this one? I am what I do. That's where I get my identity from. And in our culture, which is so performance-based, this one's deeply ingrained, isn't it? I mean, sometimes right at the beginning of a conversation, you'll, you'll ask or be asked, so what do you do? Well, I'm an IT guy. I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a businessman. Or I'm just a homemaker. Or I'm a single parent. These roles, these functional roles that we live in, they're they're, they're part of us, are so deeply ingrained and, and can become our primary identity, how we see ourselves. I am what I do. Or how about this next one? I am what was done to me. I wonder how many people define themselves in their own mind primarily by something that happened to them, something bad, something evil that happened to them a year ago or 10 or 20 or 50 years ago. Abuse, betrayal, abandonment. And ever since, they've seen themselves primarily as victims. That's that's their primary identity. How about this one? I am what I was diagnosed to be. You know, I have a number of friends, maybe you do, who have an addiction background. And I know that part of the recovery process is, is owning that addiction, right? And taking responsibility for it. But I wonder if it's possible to be honest and to admit that without letting it define you for the rest of your life. Some people you know have been diagnosed with a mental disorder and the culture, it seems to me, wants to define them by that condition. Who are you? Oh, I'm bipolar. I'm obsessive compulsive. I'm MPD. You fill in the blank. And I'm not denying the existence of those very real conditions, but I'm asking if they should become your core identity. How about I am what I wear? (laughs) Man, it's easy, isn't it, to become defined by what brand of shoes or what brand of clothing that you prefer or, or, or that you like. And there's nothing wrong with that, but does it define you? Do other people peg you that way? Or how about this one? I am what the culture tells me I am. Listen to the news enough these days and you might come away with the idea that you are nothing more than a consumer. Yep, that's what I am. I'm a consumer. That's what they tell me on the news every night. And whenever I hear that, I have this this mental image in my mind of, of this just big mouth just going through life, just consuming food and drinks and entertainment and buildings and cars and everything, just one big appetite, consuming, consuming. Is that what we are? Consumers? And this time of year, how about we have a second identity, voters, right? <laughs> so we're consumers and we're voters and our culture tells us that's what we are. It's pretty easy to let the culture tell me who I am. We can get our identity from a variety of different sources. 
But when I read the Bible, God's holy and true word, when I see how God speaks about his redeemed people, I realize that the mental pictures that arise from those other sources are actually really distorted, warped. You could call them distorted identities. It's not that they're all completely and totally wrong. It's just that they're not the truest truth about you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Those images don't define you, at least not in God's mind. And that's what I'm getting at. My truest self-image, my primary identity, does not arise from what I do or who I was or what I wear or what my parents told me or what the culture says I should be. My truest identity comes from what God says I am. His assessment trumps all. Aren't you glad you do not have to be defined by what some 13-year-old kid said to you, called you years ago? You don't. Or what some teacher, how some teacher perceived you. Or even what a youth pastor or a parent said about you. You don't. You don't. I'm contending that the gospel has the power to shape or probably in most of our cases, it would be more accurate to say, reshape and transform the most fundamental thing about you, your identity, who you are. You know who you are? You are first and foremost who God has declared you to be. And if that doesn't square with what others think of you, they're the ones who need to change their view, not God. I am who God has declared me to be. Would you say that with me? I am who God has declared me to be. One more time. I am who God has declared me to be. If you're working with other people in a discipling relationship, and, and I hope you are, they got to get this, their identity. If you're raising children and, and, and you're trying to bring them up in the Christian faith, they got to get this, how God views them. God's assessment matters most. God's view trumps all. The gospel of Jesus Christ contains the power to totally reshape your identity because it tells us that if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are new in Christ. Key, of course, is that matter of being in Christ. This is true if you're in Christ. And that was one of Paul's favorite terms to describe a person who's been awakened to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Understand how Jesus' life and death and resurrection were sufficient to address all of their sins and to change their status, right? When you believe the gospel, your status gets changed. Like from not a friend to a friend on Facebook. From lost to saved. From in Adam to in Christ. From under wrath to forgiven and guilt-free. That's what the gospel does. The power to change your identity. So for those of us who are truly in Christ through believing the gospel, the whole ballgame has changed. Something at a very fundamental level of your being has changed if you're in Christ. Now, your behavior may not even yet be fully in alignment with that fundamental change. But that doesn't negate the truth that you're in Christ being in Christ means sharing in his death and burial and resurrection in such a way that our primary identity has been transformed. The gospel was meant to shape our identity. Now, remember how we've been learning over the last few weeks and months that when the gospel is proclaimed, 
that it calls for a response. And that that response is a twofold response. It is to repent and to believe, right? So we hear the gospel. Even as Christians, we hear the gospel and God calls us to repent and believe. And I love that. That kind of gives us the the push-pull when it comes to this issue of identity. Because the gospel shapes our identity. And when we hear who we are in Christ, we are called to repent. To repent of what? To repent of those, those false identities that were spoken into our lives maybe a year ago, 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, to say, no, that's not the truest truth about me. To renounce it, to repudiate it, to reject it, that's the push part of this, right? Push it out of our minds. That is not what God says about me. may have been what you said about me, or you, or you, but it's not what God says about me, and his assessment trumps your assessment in my mind. I am repenting of a, of a false belief, a false identity that was given to me, handed to me, spoken into me, foisted upon me, but is not true of me. I renounce that. I reject it by the grace of God. That's the repentance side. And I believe this about the gospel. The gospel would call us to forgive and release those who spoke those things into us. Now, sometimes when you get this for the first time, you can get a little angry. You know? Man, they told me I was this. They spoke this way to me. They, 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 they called me this. And you can get angry about that. And it begins to poison your own heart. And the gospel calls us to forgive and release those individuals. Parents, teachers, Ex-husbands, ex-wives, children, grandparents, aunts and uncles. Look, they didn't know. They didn't know. They, they were ignorant. They were ignorant of the truth of God's word. As a result, they, they were used, they were pawns in the hand of the evil one to speak false lies into your mind. They didn't know. They probably had identity issues of their own. True? And they just weren't in the right place. You can hold it against them the rest of your life. And you know what you'll do? You'll poison your own soul if you do that. The gospel calls us to forgive them and release them from all that. That's part of repenting too. That's the push part. What's the pull? The pull part is believing. Repent and believe the truth of the gospel. Breathe it in. The way I try to do this every day is by preaching the gospel to myself every day. You've heard me use that term before, right? And I didn't come up with it. I think Martin Luther even talked about preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And in this area of identity, it means calling to your mind actively, not assuming the gospel, not, oh, I know all that already. No, calling actively to your mind the truth about who you are in Jesus Christ and rehearsing that and reciting that. That's part of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. This is who God says I am now that I'm in Christ. And we need to hear ourselves speak like that. And so I'm giving you a tool again this week to hopefully help you do that. And I was talking about this with one of my friends this week, and he said this one is one that needs to be on the bathroom mirror of every Christian so that when you get up and stumble into the bathroom in the morning and you take a look at that face in the mirror and you go, oh my, I need help. that you can shift your gaze right over here and see who God has made you to be in Christ. So last week I gave you who Jesus is. 
This week on the back side of your study outline is who you are in Christ. You know, there's something about speaking it. There's something about saying it. That when we hear the truth in our own voice, it just has a way of helping us believe it more, doesn't it? And so this is a catalog of our position in Christ, who God says I am, our gospel-shaped identity. And I want us to read this out loud together as a church family. And read it loud enough that you can, you know, maybe you've got some loud mouths around you, okay? Read it loud enough that you can hear yourself, hear your voice say these. I didn't mean to offend anybody. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you guys. You know that. Let's read these aloud together, okay? They're from the Word of God. If you are in Christ, these things are true of you. First, I am chosen by God. I am God's son or daughter. I am adopted into God's family. I am a gift from the Father to the Son. I am justified before God. I am righteous before God, blameless in His sight. I am reconciled to God. I am spiritually alive in Christ. I am redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am a saint. I am holy and dearly loved. I'm a member of Christ's body. I am complete in Christ. I'm a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I am one with Christ. I am free forever from condemnation. I am Christ's friend. I am an heir of an inheritance. I've been purchased with a price. I am a bond slave of God. I am God's workmanship. I am a son of light and not of darkness. I am anointed with the Holy Spirit. I am a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I am free from any condemning charges. I am a citizen of heaven. I am an alien and stranger to this world. I am an enemy of the devil. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am God's temple. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am God's co-worker. I am a new creation. I'll... <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, you rehearse that to yourself every morning, that'll set you free. That'll set you free from those shackles, from that bondage and enslavement that has been gripping your soul maybe for years, maybe for decades. Thank God for the gospel. Changes everything. Changes everything. Listen to me. You do not have to suffer from a case of mistaken identity. You don't. You do not have to any longer. By the grace of God, you can repent of those false identities, push them out by His grace, and breathe in the identity that God has made you to be in Jesus Christ. Preach it to yourself every day. Every day. You say, well, is everybody else going to treat me like that? Well, no. They don't know. You know, Jesus' identity was first declared by God, but then it got challenged, right? By Satan, by the people in his hometown. Yeah, your identity will be challenged, but you just keep going back to the Word of God. Go back to the Word, back to the Word. This is what the Bible says I am in Christ. That's what Jesus did. 
This word is about me. It speaks to me. It defines who I am. As you rehearse the truth about yourself every day, what others think and how they want to define you will become less and less important to you. You won't have to try and perform for them to try to please them all the time. You know, approval addiction, if you're one of those who suffers from approval addiction, always trying to get everybody to like you, you can get freed up from that. This will do that. The Word of God embedded in your soul will set you free from approval addiction. Thank God for that. You won't have to pretend anymore. You know, try to polish and portray this image of yourself that's better than you know you really are in order to try to impress people so they'll like you. You'll be free from that. That that tendency you have to hide your true self, like I'm not going to show you who I really am because if I did, if I'm transparent with you, I'm fearful that you might not like me and might might not want to be around me. You can be free from all that. When the gospel shapes the core identity in your soul, there's a freedom there that you can have. One of my friends in this church, um, a, a young lady mentioned to me last week, she said, this has been the issue in my life. And she said, in the last year, I've been totally transformed in how I view myself because of the gospel. I said, would you write that out for me? Like, put some words to it and describe how the gospel has shaped your identity. And, and uh, she did. Here's what she said. I've spent most of my life trying to live right. I took pride in my successes, and I had immense shame in my failures. I knew my salvation was a gift from God, but I had been deceived into thinking that my actions could invoke God to bless me or withhold his favor from me. Then about a year ago, the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart, and he said this, My dear child, don't you know who you are? Not who you think you are, but who I have declared you to be. You are righteous before me. Regardless of your behavior, I have given you my righteousness and you are acceptable in my sight. You no longer have to manipulate, coerce, or deceive to get what you want. I've taken all that away and have given you everything that belongs to me. I love you with an everlasting love that is perfect and nothing you can ever do will change that. You are worth every drop of my son's blood. I know you're not sinless, but I have made you blameless. You are a child of the Most High God. You're a daughter of the King. Live like the princess I have died to make you. Don't hang your head in shame or live in fear of my wrath. I took all of your shame, and my wrath was poured out on my own son at the cross for you. I've made you free. I've given you the power to reign in life, not just in death. You were more than a conqueror because I won the fight, and I gave you my prize. I have finished all of the work, so that you can now rest and receive all of the good things I have for you. You are greatly blessed, highly favored, and deeply loved because of me. And then she wrote this, Understanding and believing how God sees me and how God sees those around me has changed every relationship in my life. I now know that my identity is at the root of every behavior. Praise God that he has made me a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you get the gospel down deep into your bones, you can begin to live out of a new motto. Nothing to prove, nothing to protect, all because of Jesus. Wouldn't that be great to live that way? Wouldn't it be awesome to be unshackled? Nothing to prove. Nothing to try to protect. 
all because of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together and reflect on what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning. You know, I honestly, as I've been preparing all week, I I think that this is the issue in so many of our lives. Your identity, how you see yourself. The main issue that God is calling you to address with the gospel. Maybe you're working with someone else. How many of you, lift your hands, how many of you are working with someone or with your, with your child or a person in a, in a relationship where this is their issue? You really believe that? This identity in Christ, this is, this is their issue? Yeah, a lot of us are working with people who need to get this. And I need to ask for you, yourself, as, as you process your identity in Christ, how many of you would lift your hand and say, God is calling me to forgive and release someone who, who spoke something into my life that wasn't true? And I need God's grace to do that. Would you lift your hands? I see probably 30, 40 hands. And I am going to pray. You can put your hands down. I am going to pray that God would give you the grace to do that. And if that's you, if there's that person that you are being called to release and forgive, I, I also want to encourage you to come and be prayed with one of our prayer partners this morning. Let them just surround you with their prayers for the grace of God poured into your life so that you can let it go. And maybe even get to the point where you can bless that person. And how about this? How many of you would lift your hand saying, I'm being prompted to preach the gospel to myself every day to solidify my identity in Christ. Can I see your hands? This is what God's talking to me about. I need to preach gospel truth to myself every day so I get this deeper. Amen. Many of us. You can put your hands down. Lord Jesus, what an amazing gospel you have given us. It is such good news. It's better news than we thought. I mean, it's not just about having a mansion in heaven someday, but it's it's also about having our identity totally reshaped right now, here and now. Thank you for coming, living, dying, rising from the grave, taking our shame, our sin, our rebellion, and even the lies that we have believed. Lord, give us your grace to repent of those false beliefs, false identities that were handed to us, spoken into our hearts. God, give us the grace to renounce and reject those and to breathe in and pull in all that you say is true about us, the truest truth about us. Lord, as we try to help others grow in their walk with you, Lord, help us to see how crucial this issue of identity is and keep taking us back to the word of God, Lord, to find out who we are. We respond now to your word in Jesus' name.